Well, it's a special Sunday today because we start a new series. I know how much that excites you, it excites me. <laughs> um, our series is going to be called, uh, What Do You See? Um, and we're, we're looking through the Gospel of Mark. We tend to have a series like this each year that, um, that leads us up to Easter. And it's a, it's a looking at the life of Christ and it's a preparing to hear again the most amazing story of all, that God not only came into our world, lived the extraordinary life that Jesus did, but that that same one, expressing perfectly the heart of God, died on a cross and rose again, that you and I would accept the invitation to take exactly the same path. That for us, death would not be an end, but a beginning. You symbolize that uh, every time someone is baptized in a Baptist church or anywhere else. Uh, we symbolize that we die to ourselves and we rise to Christ. It is a taking of the same path. That is an extraordinary story. That is an extraordinary account of reality that we as the people of God dare to embrace and learn life from. And perhaps it's true that we need to prepare ourselves each and every year to hear again this truth, this story, and to allow it to penetrate more deeply into our lives. You know, um, people who read carefully the New Testament um, have come to the conclusion that even the writers of the New Testament were constantly learning about the reality of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So some of the letters or books that we have in our New Testament, people look at and say, clearly this was written later in the first century. Why? Because people had sat with this reality longer. Some of you, I'm sure, love the Gospel of John perhaps more than some of the others um, because it is profound, it is deep. It is asking big questions about the story of Jesus. And we think that is the later gospel, the gospel that's written deeper into the first century. So even they were spending their time revisiting the reality of what God had done in our world and constantly learning what it would look like to live consistently with this act of God. So we're going to kick off this series by looking through, beginning in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll, still, we'll stick with the Gospel of Mark throughout um, uh, until Easter. And we're going to ask the foundational question. If we are going to ask a question, what do you see or what does God see? What do we see in our world? How does God see us? Perhaps a really good place to start is what did Jesus see? 
As Jesus moved through our world, what was it that he saw among us? Let's have a read. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around him that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus went out again beside the lake. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Two beautiful stories of Jesus' encounter with people um, recorded in our right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. This first story, Jesus' healing of the paralytic, um, very directly actually raises questions of what did Jesus see as he moved among us. I wonder if you picked it up. It's actually spelt out there, isn't it? Jesus saw their faith. Isn't that interesting? How quickly we run to an explanation of what God sees in us we run to the negative. God sees us as sinners, which is certainly inherent in this story. So please don't hear me playing that down on any level. As soon as Jesus speaks to this paralytic, 
and says, your sins are forgiven, what else is he seeing? He's actually seeing that there is something wrong in us. Yet before this, Jesus sees the faith of this group of people who have destroyed his roof. This is a story that happens in Jesus' family home. So many people gather that they can't get in and the idea of these people is to dismantle the roof of Jesus' family home. And I love that he doesn't see the vandalism. I love that he doesn't see the destruction. I love that he doesn't highlight the fact that these guys are jumping the line. I love that Jesus sees their trust. He sees their hope. He sees their faith. I wonder if that's encouraging to you. So often we have a picture of God that is the big bad cop in the sky who is angry and vengeful and sees us all the time, so sees our bad. But what if God does see us all the time and sees our acts of faith, even highlights our acts of faith? is looking for our acts of faith. It's not the only thing Jesus sees in this story, is it? He also perceives and sees into the hearts of the Pharisees or the scribes in this story. They say nothing. But as soon as Jesus says your sins are forgiven, uh, questions arise in their hearts and Jesus sees them. And perhaps most uncomfortably, he goes on to articulate them. Why are you asking these questions? Why so critical? But even here, I want you to see in this story that as Jesus sees their criticism, as Jesus sees their scepticism, Jesus' response is a response of hope. He's not trying to close them down. He's not trying to say, uh, you know, how dare you ask and why don't you go get out of here, you hypocrites. He's not actually doing that. In fact, Jesus, who is, who is about to heal the paralytic in front of them, a sign of who God is, of who Jesus is amongst people. 
He wants this to be a sign not only that he has authority over health, over the brokenness of this man, over healing, but Jesus also wants this to be a sign that he has the authority to forgive sins. This is a very strong theme in Mark. In fact, almost all of the stories in Mark point us to an authority that Jesus has over. So Jesus heals. Jesus teaches, as he has done earlier in this story. He teaches, and and already, we're only in Mark chapter 2, in Mark chapter 1, People have been amazed at Jesus' teaching with authority. The spirits have been cast out. He is healing. And now he is making the claim that actually, I don't only have authority over these things. I also have the authority to forgive sin. You watch this theme unfold as the Gospel of Mark is told. And you will see that ultimately Jesus even claims, this story even claims, to have authority over death. In fact, this account is simply a building of the authorities of Jesus until it peaks at the very idea that Jesus has authority over everything. It's a beautiful and necessary message, isn't it, for us? In times where we wonder if things are out of control where we know things are too big for us. What does Jesus see? Jesus sees and indeed wants us to see that he has authority over everything. Let's have a look at our second story. The call of Matthew, this painting is called, um, in the the story, the account we read, uh, Matthew is named Levi, Uh, same guy. Jesus encounters him. Um, There are all these strong echoes um, of uh, the call of the first disciples, which happened in chapter 1, in this particular call. Uh, Jesus is walking along the sea and he calls Uh, James and John and Andrew and Simon. We remember that call very well, calls them away from their fishing nets and they choose to follow after Jesus. This um, account follows the same pattern. It's supposed to remind us, it's very deliberate actually, it's supposed to remind us of the earlier callings. But there's something different about this one. Jesus, once again, is walking along the sea. Crowds are following him. 
And he comes upon one who has not left his daily task to come and hear Jesus' teaching. And it is this man named Levi. He's still working and doing one of the most despised of all jobs. He is ensuring that the money of the oppressed Jews gets channeled through him to the Roman oppressors. You can imagine how loved Levi is, can't you? He is a Jew representing the Roman oppressors in the Jewish heartland. They had words for people like him. Uh, kind of cut to the core of what it looked like to be an Israelite. A tax collector was considered to be no longer a son of Abraham. An outcast, one who had betrayed a traitor. So not only do we see Jesus seeing potential and hope in the mere fisherman, but here we have a surprising twist. What if Jesus walks through our world representing perfectly the heart of God and sees potential everywhere? In fact, in the most unlikely person where no one else can see hope. Follow me. And Levi got up from his tax booth and followed after Jesus. Immediately, Jesus moves into, um, into Levi's home. And we see the same thing, don't we? This surprising willingness of this one who would claim to represent God. Going into the home, into the party, filled with tax collectors and with sinners. Some of our translations actually put the quotation marks there, don't they? A little hint that this is a big category that kind of puts a bunch of people in and you don't want to be there. And the Pharisees and the scribes see the behaviour of this very strange rabbi representing a holy God and hanging around people who do the wrong thing. Of course, if you're humble enough to see that in yourself, this is very good news. And Levi, the scribes, seeing what they see, they turn to the disciples in what I think is slightly spineless and they ask them, what is your holy rabbi 
doing hanging around these people? And how fortunate we are that Jesus overheard. And what does he say? A well person has no need of a doctor. But a doctor comes for the sick. I have come not for the righteous, but for the sinners. What does Jesus see? Hope. Hope in all of us. This is where it's so sad when people think a holy God would want nothing to do with me. If God knew, if you knew, people of God, what I had done, you would not accept me. That's the stance of the Pharisees and the scribes here. It's the stance of religion, if you like. Yet Jesus, who is much higher than religion, has a much bigger picture than just a putting together of rules and a, an establishing of a community who will obey them. Jesus insists that he has come specifically for us who would fall short of the standards of a holy God. You know, it's not so surprising, is it, that all this amounts to our continually saying God, God's stance to us is love. It is grace, that beautiful word implying an undeserved element to the love that God has for us. What does God see in you? He sees one he loves, one he treasures, one he wants to call home, one God wants to invest in. Will you follow me? Is nothing short of God saying, I will invest in you. I want to teach you. I believe you can be more than this. So how sad it is when we think that God sees us and we have this kind of image. God is watching you and he is not happy. Can you see God in the cloud there? <laughs> a grumpy God. A grumpy God frowning down on us. And the message that God sees us as a threatening message. That God only sees the bad. I wonder if you can allow the story of the healing of the paralytic and the story of Levi to change your picture of this God who we claim sees all. It's much more like this uh, overhead picture that we've had. Can we get to that next one? Here we go. Thinking about the first picture on that side, I have right-left confusion, so I, I'll never know. 
on that side. This is the Jesus who sees us clearly when we don't see ourselves clearly, when we don't see one another clearly. How important it is that we have this Jesus who puts things into perspective for us, who helps us see beyond what we can see. And Jesus' view of the world is more accurate than ours. God has a bigger picture and sees more and is still inclined to look for faith, still inclined to forgive our sins, still inclined to party with us while we are less than perfect. That is God's perspective. And Church of God, it must become ours. You see, thinking of the picture on the other side, I don't think God sees one he wants to reject in you or your neighbour or the person who is different to you down the road. I think God sees one who he wants to welcome, to embrace, to pull in. And yes, I think God sees our lostness. Why do I think this? Because as I read the Gospel of Mark, I see one who behaved this way. In fact, in this shortest and most succinct of the accounts we have of the life of Christ, we have two accounts back to back showing us that Jesus saw us differently. Unlike the way we are inclined to see each other, Jesus saw something bigger and it filled him with hope. The kind of hope that kept him among us, that moved through Humanity in this way, with this kind of grace, with this kind of welcome. You know, ultimately the Pharisees in this story are accusing Jesus of misrepresenting God. If you were really a holy man representing a holy God, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be hanging around these people. We don't. And ultimately, Jesus is rebuking them for seeing differently to God. For God's heart is a heart of welcome. God's heart is a heart of healing and understanding. I wonder what you do with a story like this. I wonder how it changes you. I wonder how it changes the way you speak to your neighbour. I wonder how it changes where you live. I wonder how it changes the way you... Um, treat your fellow human beings at work. 
I wonder if this vision of grace, this vision of favour, this vision of extravagant love can impact the way you see and go through the world. For that is exactly what this story is supposed to do. It is supposed to open our eyes that we would not only see that Jesus sees us more graciously, but that we too would learn to see the world around us just as graciously. At that point, I think the church is the best place on the planet. Amen.